Welcome to the third episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today we have one of India's most famous conservationists, Pitu Sagal. He is the founder of Sanctuary Asia, which has been the one of the longest running wildlife magazines not only in India but most of the world. Welcome Pitu Sagal to our podcast and thank you for your my pleasure. So Sanctuary Asia is one of the most renowned wildlife magazines in the world. What motivated you start the magazine back in 1981? Well, the motivation was as simple as this. I I fell in love with nature. I fell in love with the tiger and I used to go to Ranthambore was my second home. So, after 4-5 years of going to Ranthambore in the early 70s, mid 70s actually, um I met up, you know, I a good friend of mine was Fateh Singh Rathore who used to be the uh, director of the you know field director of the park and i asked him uh, fate what can i do to help you save the tiger i just don't want to come here as a tourist you can imagine this was mid 1970s so it went on like this and come 1980 when i asked him again he said i've got a great idea for you you go to mumbai and have a party every month so i thought he's going to talk in terms of fundraising or something So he says you have twelve parties. Then you come back again and say, "Fate, what can I do to save the tiger? What are you city guys useful for? All you do is party and talk. You don't do anything, you know." So I said, "No, Fate, please tell me what." And he says, "Oh, he got serious and he said, 'Listen, there are uh, too many political magazines. There are too many sports magazines. There are too many film magazines. Where is the wildlife magazine?" so i had never ever thought of it i'm not a rich guy i had no money and but i said to him i will not come back to ranthambore until such time as i give you a wildlife magazine and in the same breath he said call it habitat but i discovered that habitat was uh, a furniture store or something like that so when i told him this after two weeks he said then call it sanctuary so he named it sanctuary that was it that was it that was the original start but then there are so many other people who have influenced this and we've published now uninterrupted for 40 plus years and i sometimes think that's a miracle too it certainly is a miracle it's double my age but uh, how has sanctuary asia evolved ever since its uh, inception well sanctuary evolved in the sense that of course with the times things change when we started we used to cut and paste artworks and it used to take us about nearly 20 30 days to put a magazine together just designing after writing now it's evolved first technologically everything is online we managed to do everything but more than that the evolution has also been one of content and context when we started i mean i have been accused of being a cia spy when i went down to delhi and i said that you cannot have this project in this place because it will destroy such a valuable uh, habitat you can't do this it was a time when silent valley and all were being fought for so they said it's an american plot that they don't want india to be industrialized and that's why it was said half seriously but it was said strongly now over the last 40 years the chickens have come home to roost all the things that we had worried about all the things we had said are coming true and the the fact of climate change is the one that is the hammer which has actually driven governments corporations 
almost everybody from the United Nations downward. In fact, the Security Council is now getting involved in the whole issue of climate change. So what, what I'm saying to you is that sanctuary's context changed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just technology. It was also the fact that while earlier, people never understood, never understood the rationale, why save forests? Forests were meant to be cut and used as wood. And forests were meant to be dammed so we could get water. But the result of all that cutting, 60, 70 years of it has gone on post-independence, 75 years now. Climate change is a direct result of the destruction of ecosystems and the pushing of carbon up into the atmosphere. So Sanctuary now works at the tri-junction of biodiversity, economics and climate change. And that is a complete shift. It's an absolute total shift from what we used to do. At one time, we thought we've got, you know, tiger shikar was on. Even when we started, people used to hunt tigers, even though they were not supposed to, they would do so. Then we thought we'd won a victory. Then we got the Project Tiger declared and Project Tiger, we thought was all right. If, if something good has happened over here, we've managed to bring it and, and nature brought it back. Today, the thing is completely, absolutely, totally different. I mean, today at this tri-junction, biodiversity, economics and climate change, which is a spoiler for both, the whole world is on its knees now. So Sanctuary was relevant 41 years ago and Sanctuary is more relevant now because we are on the side of the biosphere. That's the primary change. And in between, of course, it's graduated shifts, the floods, droughts and things like this that you see are a direct result of the abuse of our environment and the lack of understanding that ecosystems are not, you know, interruptions to development. Ecosystems are infrastructures without which the economies will collapse. That leads to my next question. So what role do you think media has in wildlife conservation? Media has a very, very solid role. I mean, uh, again, when we started at that point, there was, for instance, on television was only Doordarshan and we produced a film called Project Tiger series and we got 30 million views. But we were told at that point that 30 million is too low. We want the views to be like uh, Ramayan and Mahabharat and whatnot. So the point is that, but we did put down a signature because of the thing that we had done. And this was now, I think it was the mid 80s that we did it, 85, 86, you know, we, we produced those films and we brought this connection. You can't save the tiger if you don't save the forest. If you save the forest, you save all the other species that live under it under that canopy of that forest and in the soil. And in the process of doing this, when the rain falls, the forest sponges that rain, feeds the aquifers. The aquifers, when the rain stops, they feed the rivers. And the rivers, as they go along, they feed our farms. And that's how we feed ourselves. So the idea was that, you know, media helped us. Doordarshan helped us. And the press itself began to take this up initially slowly. And then, I mean, I must have written for 60 or 70 different newspapers and magazines across the country for a good 10, 15 years, uh, translated into many languages, Deccan Herald, Midday, Times of India, Indian Express. Now everything has changed. Uh, When you talk of media, I am looking at you young guys, and I'm looking at social media as being the game changer. It's not in the control only of the big boys. And that's the most important thing of all. Also, how do you think that the portrayal of wildlife conservation has changed? We've spoken about how 
wildlife media has changed but now let's talk about how the portrayal of wildlife has changed in the media in the media wildlife is portrayed in two different ways the people who are uh, how would you say the people who don't like what we do you know mm-hmm. they look upon us as villains you know becoming in the way of development same thing that happened to us when we started the magazine but your generation is looking upon wildlife conservation as the only way out of the mess the deep hole that my generation has dug for you mm-hmm. so in terms of perception i think that is what i understand i don't know you'd be a better person to tell me what young people think but i do work with young people and they do believe what i'm telling you now to be true that my generation has colonized them you know well let's put it like this you know you can make a mistake mm-hmm. once you can make a mistake twice when you make a mistake thrice that's unforgivable so yeah. at this point in time your generation doesn't have the luxury of making a mistake the elasticity of time has vanished anish completely vanished we used to say in 10 years in 15 years we'll do this we'll do that etc it took project tiger 8 or 10 years to be recognized as the world's most successful conservation project you know but and 600 rivers are now fed from project tiger reserves and the other other sanctuaries but uh, i i don't know whether we have anything more than 3 to 5 years now so you guys have got to step on the gas and some of us who assist you we are ready to put our lives on the line for you as sanjay you one of your most prominent campaigns the kids for tigers program so uh, could you just talk about this project a bit yes of course kids for tigers actually began we 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 launched sanctuary in 1981 then in 1983 84 we launched cub magazine because we felt parents told us our children need to know this so we launched cub magazine and then as we launched cub magazine we found kids so interested that we began to go to schools so we went to in in the initial stages in by the year 2000 we we gone to 900 i think it was 950 schools we had gone to 1 million kids and <clears throat> we used to tell them this is simple story what i just told you you can't save the tiger if you don't save the forest you save the forest you save all the creatures then you harvest the rain that rain feeds the farms the farms feed us so saving tigers saves yourself now it took us one year to tell that story to children because we took them on nature walks we showed them slide shows we had camps we had campaigns we got into the limpka book of records because 10 lakh children signed a signature to the prime minister saying save the tiger we created sanctuary actually created what you might call it it created the atmosphere in which people could understand that it's not oh beautiful tiger we want to save you we want to hug you nothing wrong with the emotion but the tiger is a hardcore representative of the biosphere and it is the gardener of eden it is hamare van ke mali hai wo without these creatures a tiger is not just a tiger it's a metaphor so the tiger or a bee or a bird or a butterfly or a beetle or a snake or for that matter a shrew or a polar bear or a giraffe or you get the point all these creatures there are two things with biodiversity one not a single species other than us has the technology to create real waste and the second thing is not a single creature in this in this whole planet earth 
destroys its next generation's food supply and survival mechanism. We are the only ones. We just bumped up monkeys and we are doing the wrong thing right now. And it's time we changed. Anish, remember one thing. Everybody knows the name of Darwin. But very few people understand what Darwin meant when he said survival of the fittest. It was taken by human beings to be the strongest. But in Darwin's own explanation, it's not the strongest. It's not even the most intelligent. It's the most adaptable that will survive. So human beings, we're very intelligent. We know how to calculate. We know how to predict. We know how to do this. We know how to do that. But we are trying to re-alter nature. Now, that is not a job we are capable of doing. So I, I don't have very high hopes for homo sapiens. In fact, I label them now homo stupidus. You know, all the other creatures are much smarter than us because they've, they've learned that they have to live the right way. They adapt to nature uh, and we want nature to adapt to us. As you mentioned that you worked with about 10 lakh students. So what is the reaction? Like how, how was the response from uh, the students? Beta Kids for Tigers projects, I can tell you this, what we do is actually I owe and all of us owe a debt of gratitude to the teachers because they say the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. But I know this, I'm a grandfather, that when the kid gets to be three, four years old, the mother is so happy to hand it over to the teacher because then she has a life, you know. And the same thing happens, you know, whether it's urban or rural. So let's put it like this, that um, I I think that uh, Kids for Tigers has over 40 years, literally two generations, effective generations, up to the age of 20, 25, your age. There are people who've come to us at the age of 10 and 11. And in Ranthambore, for instance, uh, Govardhan Meena, he's a tribal boy who came to us at the age of 11. He's now 37, got two kids of his own, and he's like the Pied Piper of Ranthambore. He goes from village to village to village. And he's explaining to them you know, all these things, all these various things. And uh, there is uh, Kara Tejpal who came to us at the age of 11 also. And she is now one of India's best writers on the subject of, you know, not just wildlife. She's not wildlife that she writes on. She writes on ambition. And why are we who we are? Why can't we just grow up? Why can't we just smell the coffee? Why can't we appreciate nature as it is and be happy and contented? So, and who knows where you'll go? I think you might become the prime minister tomorrow. I'm probably too young for that. (laughs) Yeah, let's see. Let's see. The younger and younger people are getting into politics and perhaps you you guys might redefine politics. I hope you will. Do you think India's education system is doing enough to educate the children about wildlife and conservation and the environment also? In a word, no, it's not. It could, it, we should have started like Kids for Tigers. We do what we can do and we go to a lot of kids. We go to 1 million kids even now, you know, in rural areas, urban areas. But if you look at NCERT, you know, you know what, what's happening is that they're being taught that what we consider to be sources of life are just resources, you know. So I think that education, as we know it, let's say the English speaking people like us, we were taught to become the equivalent of slaves. You have to do this. Don't try and use your own mind. Go ahead and just do this and do it efficiently. 
and we churned out people after people after people like that obeying the rule of the powers in place you guys are going to have to do some free thinking because my generation has certainly gone the wrong way otherwise why would we see climate change coming down it's the single most devastating evidence of market failure so the economies of the world i think will will have to wake up and 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 change paths will have to change beta i mean i will always answer slightly to the left and right of what you ask you know but i think you get the picture yeah but moving on to one more major project run by central asia uh, can you talk about the muds on boots project a bit the mud on boots project was started and was actually conceived by kara tejpal Uh, who is still a part and parcel of sanctuary so she she goes around the whole country looking and living in rural india very often modern boots was has a simple rationale every conservation body in the whole world depends on those people with mud on their boots the forest guard who's tramping the forest at night the villager who's living next to the forest at night so we wanted that those people who are actually putting out fires and those people who are actually helping to tranquilize tigers and those people with even scientists and people like that with mud on their boots we wanted to give them pride of place and we thought we would do this and we managed to do it uh, with by supporting them in small ways uh, you're 20 so you understand that your family must be asking you what are you going to do when when we were 20 it was either become a doctor become a lawyer become a accountant become something like this which was all service industry for people who were actually destroying the environment you know so let's let's just say that uh, the world is going to change education per se is going to change and that change will come about because you young people have seen with your own eyes the failure of a system that tried to extract more from nature than it could give and in one line if i had to educate village kids or uh, urban kids or kids sitting in america it would be that the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment you cannot destroy the environment and expect your economy to do well so how do you think uh, with 300 million people living in and around forests and india being the fastest growing economy how do you think we can help preserve the environment while continuing with our economic growth it's um, the question that you ask has no easy answer and nor mm-hmm. does it have a simple answer but i'll try and simplify my viewpoint and what my i see as a solution the best way <clears throat> i mentioned to you maron boots people working on the ground we have to go to them they have the knowledge i also mentioned to you that community owned community operated nature conservancies the idea was that if you take let's say kanha or anthambore or bandavgarh you take any one of these places now after you protect it the population of these animals goes up then they spill out on the outside but when they spill on the outside is there place for them without conflict it doesn't happen and at this point point in time the amount of carbon that's gone up into the atmosphere the only the only economic and sure shot scientific way to pull it down would be to restore ecosystems because whether it's a, a house plant or whether it's grassland or whether it's a rainforest every time 
a tree grows or a sapling grows, it pulls carbon down from the atmosphere. And uh, I would say that um, that business of shifting perspective from guns and guards alone, at that point, you did need guns and guards because it was very, very, not guards against the village people. You needed those guns and guards against rich shikaris, you know. Today, we desperately need failed and marginal farmers to earn money from biodiversity. Tourism is one way out. But there are so many other ways. The government should be subsidizing the people living around the parks, not to farm, because they are not adding to food security. For two to three months of the year, they are working, doing food for work, you know, in most parts, in many parts of India. So I believe that um, the way that communities can be engaged would be to go back to their traditional knowledge, yes, but not to say that you sit down and, you know, like museum pieces, you sit somewhere. No, I'm saying that whatever be their ambition, they have the right, they should be consulted, we should sit down with them, and policymakers must bow to their to their will, to the will of the people who live around these, these large protected areas that we have made. And um, through the process of restoring ecosystems, they not only get livelihoods, but they also get security. That means floods and droughts will affect them less. Today in Vidarbha, for instance, they don't know when to plant. They plant and the rain doesn't come. Or they were going to harvest on the 15th and the rain comes and the hail comes on the 10th. So, you know, by shifting the climate uh, delivery systems, by putting too much carbon in the air and destroying all the ecosystems that, that actually tempered uh, the climate, we have made life for rural people miserable. And it's not enough to start a factory, give 800 jobs and then cause problems to 800,000 people whose livelihoods are taken away because their soil is washed away or their, their crops are withered. So it's a complicated answer. I hope you get something out of what I've said, but uh, I'd be happy to sit back with all you young guys and talk and, and seek your help as to what you think can be done given today's circumstances. I think that that is something for us to look forward certainly. And I think nature-based solutions is one way out. But you mentioned about your cocoon project in your last answer. So could you just please elaborate a bit on that? Well, cocoon projects that we talked about were looking to change the dynamic. When, when we went to Ranthambore, there were no tourists for eight, nine years. The moment we put Project Tiger out and a prime minister came and visited, suddenly the hotels began. But did the local villagers get any advantage from that? No. In fact, when Project Tiger was set up, it was they who were displaced. Now, they should, if for having displaced them, they should have been the primary beneficiaries of more tigers coming back. But they still are not, not up to today. So, I mean, for me, cocoon conservancies was a way where marginal farms, which are right on the edges of the parks or between two parks where there might be a corridor, it's possible for us to make sure that the people who own land there um, don't have to struggle against wild pigs, against tiger kills, against the vagaries of climate. We want them to not sell their land to rich people. We want them to hold on to their land. And we would like that their children begin to nurture their land back to ecological health. 
the issue now becomes one yes that's fine but how do they sustain themselves so that sustenance as i said tourism which is sensitive and which is earthy is one small 5% segment that's a way in which right now thousands and thousands of those kids are guides but we had, we need to give livelihood to millions so restoring the ecosystems can be done i'll i'll just extend that answer by a little bit more india is one of the world's largest large dam builders but all the catchments of our dams are destroyed therefore all our dams are oversilted therefore all our dams are non performing assets if we take the people who are living in the catchment areas and and kana for instance is the southern source of the narmada river then melghat is the is the source of the tapi you know and so if we restore the catchments doing simple things it's you know you build a contour bund here you build a trench here you it's basically soil and moisture conservation works then pr- protected from fire and you'll find birds bees butterflies coming back so fast in 3 to 5 years time the sponge comes back when the sponge come back the carbon comes down the people don't they have fresh water the health improves so all these things are fine except the problem is it doesn't suit those people who have learned to game the system so if there's a coal mine under the taroba tiger foot pugmark they want that coal mine if you go down to uh, parts of goa they want the iron ore you go down somewhere else in northeast now they want to build a dam and export electricity to whom the glaciers have melted so it's a very complicated world into which you guys are being asked to take over but again i've given you a ara teda answer i hope that you'll get something yeah. out of it there's been uh, one more problem in conservation recently is that a, a lot of wildlife has been found outside protected areas 99% of wolf populations found but outside protected areas i think 30% of tiger populations found outside protected areas so how do you think where do you think india is lacking in its conservation in her conservation and how do you think this can be improved see why is there no space outside at one point forget about project tiger we declared project tiger but most of the tigers lived outside because there were forests there now what's happening is that the tigers are becoming overpopulated in places like taroba and uh, ranthambore and uh, if the outside does not come back to forest status then you're going to have conflict so as i see it uh, the only real answer the only real answer to solving both this conflict issue and to give stable populations of biodiversity without which human beings won't be able to survive would be to ensure that we rewild the indian subcontinent in ways where this time we don't make the same mistake of a top down uh, you know strategy we do it from bottom up if we reclothe the catchments of our dams that will increase our lean season flows of water and that will reduce floods and droughts and that will create perhaps between 5 to 8 million jobs for people who live close to where their where their villages are where their towns are instead of coming migrating from uttar pradesh and bihar and coming to bombay where they would live in miserable conditions they could do the same thing and feed their families and live with dignity where they are provided policy makers understand that they are critical to the rewilding of the indian subcontinent which is critical to fighting climate change so talking about re- rewilding 
I think you know where the next question will go. So uh, in recent times, uh, there's been a lot of talk about cheetah re- reintroduction in India <laughs> and the project is moving on quite fast. So what are your opinions about this ambitious project? My opinion about this is that uh, it's a hypnotic idea, but uh, I know for a fact that there isn't enough place in this country to create a viable population of cheetahs as of now. The cheetah is at best, yes, they can use scrub and things like this, but they need grasslands. Where are the grasslands? That's Wetlands and grasslands are the fastest vanishing ecosystems in the world, not just in India. So if we don't give them vast lands, the cheetah has no future. It'll be, they'll live in glorified safari parks, you know, where they'll be fed, you know. So huge amounts of money. Here we are unable to save the tiger. We are unable to save the leopard. We are unable to save the lion, really, because the lion is now, though it's spread out everywhere else, there's a backlash taking place in Gujarat, you know. So I would say that now that the cheetahs have arrived, there's no point crying over spilt milk. I think that they should have done much better thinking on this in terms of keeping habitats ready. Palpur Kuno, I know intimately. It's a large area without village populations inside. But the cheetah is never, has never met an animal like the tiger. I don't think tigers and cheetahs are going to be able to live together. It, it, the cheetah will be wiped out, you know. Uh, I, I, I hope and I pray I'm wrong. I have never wanted to be more wrong in my life. But I also hope that in the name of the cheetah, Vast grasslands, vast scrub areas, which are now treated as wastelands, will come back to life. I think Kuno was also meant to be one of the sites of translocation for the Asiatic lions. So, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, well, I'll, you know, I'll tell you. Let, I, I understand your question. Let me put it like this. If you go back in time and you look at the 1980s Sanctuary magazine, the first problem came up with rhinos. We wanted, you know, there were so many rhinos in Kaziranga that it was beginning to already then pose a problem. So we said that Dudwa and places like this, which are the same, very lovely habitats, why don't we take a population of about six to eight rhinos and repopulate it? And Assam said, no, the rhino belongs to Assam. So, I mean, that thinking process that human beings will make a line and say, this is mine, that is yours. Neither the migratory birds, nor the animals, nor they don't know what these boundaries are. They will go where there is food, where there is shelter, where there is safety, where there is water. And if you can't put all your eggs in one basket, so we would, that was the first one. As far as the lion is concerned, right now the lion has gone to Amreli in one place, has gone to Rajkot in another place, has gone everywhere. There's going to be a big backlash with, in Gujarat on the overpopulation of lions into a place where they would be able to because the lions would be a pride they would be able to hold their own against tigers and things like this I don't know now what the outcome is going to be we can I think I won't even live long enough to know so you'll have to write me a postcard wherever I am and say you know you were wrong the cheetah is doing very well you know or something of that sort of sadder news so oh, that's, hopefully, hopefully it's a former and in the process, hopefully we save the grasslands. Uh, and one more question is that you mentioned that in the process of re- reintroducing cheetahs, we might save the grasslands. But don't you think uh, wolves and hyenas and leopards are enough motivation to save the grasslands? So why do you think that 
because if if we cannot save grassland with those species why do you think the detail make a difference i'd put it like this the current government has put their reputation on the line i think that they will want to save the grasslands for the cheetah wherever they put it and there is always going to be a conflict because the grasslands are the places where farmers want the grasslands to grow their food and at this moment very few people understand this while the forest is a huge contributor to carbon escaping up into the atmosphere actually if you look at the 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 largest ecosystem destruction has taken place between grasslands and wetlands so i believe that any symbol of anything that is a grassland like the, you take the great indian bustard right now wall to wall solar panels are being put up in the great indian bustard breeding grounds now that in itself is going to affect the grasslands we don't need to blanket charge and put and treat uh, grasslands as wastelands it is actually hardcore looked upon as a wasteland they are not wasteland they are ecosystems they are the ones that gave rise to to mammals without the grasslands mammals would not have been it wouldn't have evolved the way that they are evolving you know so it's a complicated thing but i'll tell you this before we close our interview there's a word called homeostasis h o m e o s t a s i s i would like every one of the people listening on this particularly the young to look it up on google it basically means things coming back to set point so if you have a temperature 98.6 and it goes up to 101 you'll start maybe sweating or shivering or something like this and your body temperature will come back automatically it gets adjusted the whole planet is designed to repair itself it's a self repairing mechanism this biosphere that you see it can repair itself provided homo sapiens bumped up monkeys who think they are cleverer than they actually are just step back and let nature fix itself you're saying nature based solutions i'm saying they don't even need us to plant a single plant they just need us not to light fires they need us not to drown forests they need us not to hack down uh the nicobar islands to create golf courses and hotels and shipping yards so if we do the right thing india has in its culture the attitudes that the world desperately needs we should be exporting those attitudes to them instead of importing false ambition i might sound angry i'm not actually angry you know i'm just worried i'm a little concerned i'm a little panicked that abhi kya karenge ye bacche jab hamari peedi hadap kar jayegi unko intergenerational colonization i do everything in your name why do i give you an education so you'll do well why do i give you clothes so you'll be all right and you find a good girlfriend you know i do all that in your name but do i have to destroy your rivers your forests your glaciers melt down we know what the solutions are is that doing something for you or are we just big boys with big toys just having fun at your expense so that's a that's a very good point to think and a good way to end this interview so thank you so much for your time and uh, it was a pleasure interviewing you thank you anish let me put it to you close the interview with one simple statement human beings don't yet have the technology to destroy the biosphere everything will be fixed and that homeostasis nature will make sure that everything will be all right you will live a good life but you will have a very rough time of it 
and i people of my kin my 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 lot all they're trying to do is to make it less painful for you and to show the self interest the economic self interest to my generation ki bhai aisa mat karo ye to murakhpan hai agar nadi nahi rahegi to where your agriculture coming from if you can't if and blah 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 i won't go much further but i think you get the picture thank you very much for yeah. this